0: Well, officially good morning. It's good to see all of you here today. You think we're at a Vikings game or something. God's good. So far in our Intentional Life series, we've learned that as a follower of Jesus, we have to own our own spiritual development. We have to be responsible and taking responsibility for our spiritual formation, Also, uh, in in addition to this, we have to own the mandate of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we're not only concerned about our own well-being, but the well-being of those around us. We have to see ourselves as sent ones uh, on mission uh, uh, for Christ. And being on mission for Christ doesn't necessarily mean I have to go over there, I have to go to some distant place uh, to be on mission for him. It means I start where I'm at. I start in my proximity, and I become very intentional about living for Christ out loud where I find myself at. Now, a key perspective when it comes to the intentional life, if you really want to live an intentional life for Christ, a key perspective, change usually that has to take place, is at some point, you have to move from a consumeristic mindset to a contributor mindset, where you're more concerned about serving than you are being served. That has to, have, has to happen for us to live the intentional life that, that the Lord wants us to live. In fact, when we do that, when we have that mindset change, we look a lot like Jesus. Because Jesus said, I have come to serve and not to be served. This morning, we're going to continue our journey into this intentional life series by talking about some critical DNA of intentionality. You all know what DNA is, right? Most of you do. Anyway, I think we have a picture of it out there. Yay, you can see the DNA behind me. I'm sure that helps you a lot. Um, but our bodies have DNA. And this DNA codes into us, you know, how we're going to grow and how we're going to look like and all that kind of stuff. It, it, it has all this information that, that is really key for proper physical functioning. Now, when it comes to our spiritual person, part of the coding of the DNA that is deep at our souls, in our souls, right, needs to be this understanding that as a follower of Jesus, if I'm going to be intentional, I have got to be bold. It needs to be coded into me as a follower of Christ. I have got to be bold. It it just needs to be part of the way that we understand doing our life in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the natural outcome of boldness will be risk-taking. I'll be willing to take some risks because I'm bold in Jesus Christ. I think some definition will help understand what I'm getting at this morning. When I use the word boldness, I mean this. This is what I mean. The opposite of fearfulness. The opposite of fearfulness. It's a willingness to take risks. It's a willingness to take risks. And when I use the word risks, I mean this. A situation involving exposure to danger. So when I say we need to be coated with the DNA of boldness, if we want to really truly live the intentional life that God calls us to live, what I'm saying is we have to function the opposite we'd function if we were doing life fearfully. And we have to be willing to step into the risks that God lays before us, knowing that we may be exposed to some danger. And most of the time in our culture, in our time, in our age, we're exposed to maybe being uncomfortable or maybe possibly being ridiculed or misunderstood. But there may be a day when we're exposed to some physical dangers also. So let's do a little bit of an assessment this morning on boldness and risk. Let's see where we're at. I want to get you kind of thinking with me, all right? So think on these questions and think about yourself. Are you a bold person? What, what, what drives you? Are you driven by the DNA of boldness as a follower of Jesus Christ? Or would you have to be uh, saying, no, I'm probably a little bit more fearful actually, you know? So let's take a, an assessment test this morning. First of all, do you think you're a bold person? Would others say you're a bold person? Now, I'm not saying by boldness that you're an extrovert. Throw that out, that's not what I mean by boldness. If you're an extrovert, you're an extrovert. You just like to talk, you like to think out loud, you like to process out loud. That's not necessarily boldness, that's being an extrovert. Boldness is a willingness to take risks. Are you that kind of person? How do you do with new things? That's sometimes a benchmark of whether you're bold or not. Do you embrace new things? Are you okay with that? What frightens you? Sometimes we can tell if we're bold by what frightens us. Spiders frighten you? My uh, second-born, Brianna, did not like spiders growing up. And many a time in her room, we hear this, ha! Ah! And we run in there, what's wrong, what's wrong? There's a spider. And then squish, there you go. You know, what frightens you? Spiders? Maybe heights. I remember we were roofing our cabin one year. And uh, we're up there going to do this as a family. And my brother was going to help us. And I'm on the roof. I have no fear heights. He has fear heights. So he crawls on the roof, spread eagle. And he's laying there kind of looking weird. And I'm going, What are you doing? Well, I don't do so well with heights. I said, How are you going to do this? He goes, I don't know. I said, crawl back down the ladder. We'll just figure it out. You know what I mean? So some people have a real fear of heights. How about talking in front of people like I'm doing right now? That cause you to fear a little bit? I hear that's the number one fear of most people. Sharing Jesus might cause us to have some apprehension. Uh, Maybe rejection of people causes you to be fearful or persecution or deep water. Some people don't like to be in deep water, or how about failing, or whatever. Uh, Self-awareness is a a friend when it comes to assessing yourself in Jesus Christ. And so all we're trying to do here is is create some self-awareness. So let's get to one other assessment question. When you think of your faith, what does boldness look like for you? What does risk-taking look like for you individually? What would that mean to you? How would that change how you do life if you're not already doing it? Because I want to lay this challenge out to you this morning, and it's this. You are to be a bold, risk-taking, Holy Spirit-led person. It's supposed to be how you do your life in Christ. You are to be bold, taking Holy Spirit-led risks as part of how you follow after Jesus. It's supposed to be coded into us. It's supposed to be part of the DNA of our spiritual soul. A while back, we did this series called Unshakable Faith. In this series, it was emphasized that often what's required of the follower of God is to take what? A first step. Just a first step into something that God's doing. Oftentimes, we just have to take that first step, and that's what really boldness looks like as a follower of God frequently. And we... Talked in that series about the ancient Israelites. They had been delivered from their bondage to Egypt, and God led them to the edge of the promised land. And they were to step into that promised land, and they refused to. Now, what had happened was that it had sent out 12 explorers, and they had come back with a report that the land indeed is good. It floats with milk and honey. But 10 of the 12 explorers gave a disheartening report. They said, yeah, but... Whenever you hear, yeah, but, that's not good, right? Yeah, but the land devours its people, and there are big folk that live there, and we look like grasshoppers in their sight and felt the same way. And they all suffered from what I call grasshopper syndrome. And instead of being willing to step into the promised land that God had for them, they refused to go in. And so God pronounced on them some judgment. He said, to this generation that is risk aversion— Uh, To this generation that's disobedient, you're going to wander in the wilderness now until you die off. And then that new generation will get to step into my promise. Because you weren't bold, basically, because you wouldn't follow after me hard. So that generation dies off, and the new generation's raised up. And as we read in Joshua chapter 1, God again lays before them the challenge to be bold people and to step into the promised land. And I love what God says to this people. I think it speaks to you and I today about what boldness really is and how it could be defined. And back when we did that series, we gave you carabiners. Remember these? Some of you have these on your water bottles. I see them on you all over the place. They say Joshua 1.9 on them because it's a reference to the main verse of that series. But Joshua 1.9 says this, Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous? Do not be afraid, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And to me, that's a great definition of boldness, the opposite of fearfulness. Be strong and courageous, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged, because why? God is with you. God is with you. And this needs to be coded into our DNA as a follower of Jesus, to be bold this way. The Israelites weren't to be ruled by their fearfulness. In fact, the opposite was to be true of them. They were to be bold, and they were to step into the risk that God laid before them. See, that's often all boldness is this, stepping into the risk that God has laid before you and me. You know, this became the normal for folk in the New Testament, after Jesus is resurrected, we see this holy boldness of these followers who were once, by the way, very timid and fearful. And oftentimes you, what you see is they just were willing to just step into following Christ hard, and they stepped into the risk that was laid before them. One such case is the Apostle Paul and his account found in Acts chapter 16, verses 16 through 34. I'm going to read that to you. Listen to this account. Once, When we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept us up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed. I love that. This is annoying. That he turned around and he said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you, come out of her. That's boldness, isn't it? And at that moment, the Spirit left her. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought uh, them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept a practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet into stocks. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the Jailer took them and washed their wounds and immediately he and all his household were baptized. The Jailer brought them into his house, set a meal before them, he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. So what we see here in Paul is this DNA of boldness. It's just coded into him. It's how he does his walk in Jesus Christ. See, boldness and risk should become normal. Normal in the follower of Jesus. It should be how we do our faith, how we live it out. So Paul's going along, and this girl's following after him. And what she's proclaiming is true, but it's coming from the wrong source. And it begins to annoy Paul. And it just seems so normal. He just turns around and he rebukes the spirit. And what happens? The spirit departs from her. Paul had this boldness that was just normal. It was part of the way he did his walk in Christ. Now, there were risks involved with doing that because the masters weren't going to be happy. She was a money-making machine. So even as Paul was doing this, There had to be that understanding, I'm stepping into some risk here because this girl makes her masters a lot of money. Paul didn't go looking for that risk. Do you notice that? He didn't have to say, now I need to take a risk in Jesus. Listen, if you're a bold follower of Jesus, risk will find you. What do you think of that? Risk will find you. And they found Paul. But when you're intentional about Jesus... There's just no way you can't help but being bold. Paul's bold. He rebukes the spirit. And he puts himself at some risks. So let me ask you this assessment question right now. What risks will you face by becoming very intentional in Jesus? What will that mean to your life? If you're very intentional and you're a bold follower of Jesus, what risks do you think you'll have to face? Just think on that for a moment. Now, As a follower of Jesus, not only are we to be bold and understand there's some risks associated with that, but there is a way we are supposed to handle risks and the consequences of risks that Paul and Silas are very illustrative of for us in this this, uh, reading that we listened to this morning. And this is point number two. Let the danger and consequence of the risk drive you to God. Let it drive you to God. Paul and Silas suffered some danger because of their boldness. They were, you know, arrested, and they were beaten with rods. I'm sure that wasn't pleasant. Then they were put into the inner jail system there, and feet were locked in stocks. I mean, that doesn't look comfortable, does it? And they were sitting there with their feet in stocks. Now, I read a lot about stocks because I'm talking about it with you this week, and so I was reading about what they used to do with people when they put them in stocks. One, it was for public humiliation, and the feet you usually were bare, and frequently they would whip your feet, or they would beat them with paddles. One, well, actually, several researchers said they would tickle your feet. Seems a little strange. When you admit, I didn't get much of a reaction in our first hour either when I said that. I don't know about you, but I, I don't know here tickle my feet or whip my feet. I don't know which one I would choose. What one you choose? But I guess tickling your feet is a bad deal. Anyway, Paul and Silas were restrained by these stocks. Yet what did they do? They prayed and they sang. They intentionally let their circumstances and the dangerous situation that they found themselves in drive them to God. They intentionally did that. See, risk is part of following God, but we need to intentionally use that to drive us back to dependence on God, amen? So boldness will take you to this place of risk, and risk will take you right back to this place of God. You see how this works? That's how it worked in their lives. I've talked about this a little bit before, so if you've heard this, uh, bear with me, because I have a different piece of the story that I'm going to tell you today, okay? But um, when I began my work at 3M in 1980 as an engineer, I purposed that in all my interviews whether they be for the job initially or for promotions or change of jobs, I would always answer the questions they asked me truthfully. And so when they would ask me a question about what is the most important thing in your life, well, I was following Christ. And I purpose, I would say that, even in secular job interviews and interviews for promotions. So I remember, uh, by the way, that wasn't easy. It was nerve-wracking at times, because I knew it could cost me a job or an opportunity. But I'd come to two distinct conclusions about why you want to do that. One is, it's the truth. It's who I am, essentially, as a person. And secondly, it probably was God's protection for me. Because if that cost me not to get the job, I probably shouldn't have that job. Amen? And so I kind of looked at it that way. Well, I remember in the early 90s, we had transferred here to Brookings, and I was working at the medical plant, the Brookings plant over here that's in our town, 3M, and a job opportunity came available in Wapiti, North Dakota, and it was for plant manager's job, plant engineering manager, I better say that right, because some of you are 3Mers, so I want to make sure I say that right. So it was for a plant engineering managing job, and I wanted that job, it was a good job. So I remember driving up there to interview, And the plant manager asked me the question what's most important to you and i'm going oh oh, i want this job so bad and i remember saying well christ is the most important thing with me and while we're on the topic my family's second and down the list someplace third or fourth is a job and i could see oh i probably just lost this job and so he had some other people to interview, and he called me back a few days later, and he said, you didn't get the job. He said, you seemed distracted by too many other things, and the job wasn't important enough to you. And I remember thinking, Ugh, I will do a better job than any of these other people. You know how you get, I'm really competitive. But I didn't get the job. Well, it was years later that I was thanking God I didn't get that job because 3M sold the company. They sold Wapperton off. They sold that business off. So I would have been sold off. I don't know what that would have meant. I'd think, thank God I wasn't there because I don't want to be sold off. (laughs) I got the exact same job here at Brookings a year later, in this plant anyway, so I was really happy about that. But thirdly, guess what I was doing at that moment? I was pursuing ministerial education under the mentorship of Pastor Tim and gang here. And I'm sure if I would have moved to Wahpeton, I would have dropped all that. And I wouldn't end up doing what I do right now. So I see the sovereignty of God. And here's the conclusion I reached. At the time, it seemed like I was taking this big risk, and I I felt like it was hard and difficult, and I felt like I lost something. But what if I didn't take that risk? What if I got that job? I think my life wouldn't have turned out as well as it did. And I think sometimes we think we lose something by taking these risks of being bold for Jesus, but I'm telling you what, you lose something if you don't do it. There's consequences if you don't do it. It's risky not to take a risk. And in addition to that, we see this in the case of Paul and Silas. How you handle difficult situations can really witness to others. As a follower of God, the way you react to dangers and consequences of your risk really impacts others. We're told that the prisoners were listening to Paul and Silas pray and sing. They didn't have a choice, all right? Granted, they didn't have a choice, but it impacted them. Because Paul and Silas was intentionally using this situation to drive them back to God, they were taking others along with them. Now, we talked about this last week. We have to have proximity awareness. Who is listening to you? Are you living this bold risk embracing life for Jesus Christ? Because others often see that and they wonder about what's going on in you and it begins to stir something in their own spirit and it grabs their attention. So are you aware of that? Do you care about those around you? Are you aware of those around you? Uh, you? Are you living this life that's boldly followed Christ and embracing risk because it can really impact others? And we see when all was said and done here, that God intervened miraculously in the case of Paul and Silas. And I call this a possible outcome because it's not guaranteed. But God may choose to do the unexpected if you boldly follow him and embrace the risks that he asks you to embrace. I say that with a, a bit of a qualification because we don't want to formulate how God will react to us. We, won't, we want to say that, God, if I do this and this and this, then every time you have to miraculously intervene on my behalf. But he did do that for the Apostle Paul and for Silas. And I think oftentimes he'll do that for us. So an earthquake happens and the prison doors fly open and I don't know why the chains would fall off because it was a miracle. They fell off and the jailer wakes up and he realizes all the prison doors are open. He goes, oh, no, they've all escaped. And you know what? That was a death sentence to this guy. So he thought, I might as well just get it over with, and he's ready to kill himself. And Paul yells out, don't, don't harm yourself. We're all here. That's a miracle that they were all there. Because if I was in a Roman prison, I don't know about you, but if my chains fell off my arms and my door just miraculously opened to myself, my little teeny little feet would take me out fast. I'd be running out of there as fast as I could saying, hallelujah, praise God, right? Jailer, you're on your own. But Paul and Silas had so impacted those prisoners around them that they stayed there. They wanted to hang around Paul and Silas. And the jailer was so taken aback by all this that he became totally receptive to what was going on. What must I do to be saved? What's going on here? This is not normal. So the boldness of Paul led him to step into this risk of, of, you know, casting out this demonic. A presence in this gal, this spirit in this gal, they suffered some danger because of that. They were beaten. They were, they were flogged. They were th- locked in stocks in the inner chamber of a prison, a Roman prison. Uh, uh, but in that situation, they let all that drive them right back to God. They prayed and they sang. And, and that led to a special moment of God's intervention of an unexpected move of God. And that led to all this receptivity by those around them that were close to them see the result of, of a life lived boldly for God, embracing risks that God has for us, that can lead to special moments of receptivity in those around us. And I love, I love how this all ties together and how it all works. Sometimes we think, I've got to be this really articulate, outspoken person of Jesus. No, what you, y- 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 there's nothing wrong with that. But if you're one who is just boldly, courageously following after Christ with conviction, amen, and living a life that's out loud, live for him, taking the risks that, that he wants you to step into, man alive, can you impact those around you. It can, it can create all kinds of receptivity because I think God does marvelous things in that situation. So I want to end this morning with just some reflection for you to consider. Remember, boldness is the opposite of fearfulness. It's a willingness to take risks, and risks are nothing more than exposure to some danger. Boldness is not that person that speaks a lot, is not afraid to speak in front of others. That's being an extrovert, and that's okay, but that's not necessarily boldness. Boldness is that person that's courageously following after God, stepping in the risk that God has for him or her. It's part of the DNA of the way they do their walk. And here's the reflection I want you to consider. Can you be what God wants you to be intentional in your spiritual development and intentional about the spiritual development of others, those around you, without being a bold, Holy Spirit-led risk-taker? Can you do it, do you think? Not very well. But I want you to consider that. If you look at Acts, you see this boldness. All throughout the, the early history of the church in Antioch, Paul and Barnabas spoke boldly when the Jews publicly reviled them. In, in Iconium, they were vigorously opposed, so they remained for a long time speaking boldly for the Lord. In Ephesus, Paul spoke boldly in the synagogue. In Ephesus, Paul taught in the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. In Caesarea, when Paul was in prison, he spoke boldly to King Agrippa. as Paul's life is coming to the end, the last thing we know about Paul is that while under house arrest in Rome, he went on proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness, without hindrance. Amen? It's just there. Boldness is supposed to be the DNA of the follower of Jesus Christ. This last week, we saw the miracle in Minneapolis, didn't we? Nah, I got your attention now. (laughs) The Vikings won in the very last pass play of the game. Who would have thought we'd ever see a New Orleans saint looking dumbfounded like we usually look. <laughs> like, what just happened? We're always on the opposite end of that, amen? If you're a Vikings fan, you, you know that feeling and going, ah, you just crushed my heart again. You know, they figured out another way to lose. And <laughs> I was out at a, a birthday party with Dan Hintz, for Dan Hintz, and so I wasn't really watching the game. We were recording it at home, but everybody kept telling me what was going on. Even though I said, no. And then I heard 17 to 14. Oh, no. Then it's 20, 14. Oh, yes. Then, oh, no. Oh, yeah. Oh, you know what I mean? No. And then it's, they're up. 30 seconds to go. They're up by one. I go, no. They're going to do it again. And I already said, okay, heart, guard my heart. <laughs> then I heard... The neighboring room erupt. Enjoy a celebration. I go, that's a good sign. So I ran over there and I said, I can't believe it. I cannot believe it. And Vicki's all along saying, stay hopeful, stay hopeful. And Kim Klute was there also saying, stay hopeful, stay hopeful. And later on, I was talking to Vicky. I said, you know, when you're a 50-year Viking fan and you've watched them lose every way possible, I have a hard time being optimistic. I really do. And here's where I'm taking this. As we live life, (laughs) we can have hard things happen to us over and over again, right? And we can be disappointed over and over again. And we can be frustrated over and over again. And we can get to the point where we kind of harden our heart to God a little bit unintentionally. We we almost refuse to hope because we think that might make us vulnerable or something. But we have to embrace Romans 8.28. God works for good for those who love him. He works all things for good for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. And we have to become these bold, spirit-led, risk-taking followers of God that step into that risk. Now, we may not have supernatural intervention like Paul and Silas had, but we still want to step into that risk no matter what the consequences because that is the best life for us to live. Amen? And we may not see the benefits of it we may not see it immediately. Like when I went to and I didn't see the benefits of that immediately. But years later, I go, oh, thank God. And it may be years before we see some of the benefits. We may think we're even suffering and we're not. You follow what I'm saying? We have to understand that God is a good God. He always works for the good of those who love him. And it's called according to his purposes. And we have to be people who have boldness encoded in us. And willingly step into the risks that God has for us understanding that's the best life we can ever live, no matter what everything else says. Amen? Because if you're a Viking fan, you get this. So we'll see what happens today. I'm still guarding my heart. Let's pray, and then we're going to close with a song. Would you bow your heads? Lord God, I want to thank you for this day. I want to thank you for who you are. You're just great and awesome, Lord. And I pray that we would have boldness uh, encoded into the DNA of our spiritual person, that that would just be Normal, like it was normal for Paul, may it be normal for us. May we just step into uh, uh, the risks that you have for each one of us, Lord, uh, and, and, and understand there is some danger, there is some uncomfortableness, there may be some, you know, mockery or whatever that we have to endure at times. But God, help us to understand that uh, you're greater than that situation and how we respond to that to be just being driven back to greater dependence on you. And hopefully that will witness to those around us, Lord, of who you are, and we'll have those. Moments of unexpected movement of you in our lives and those moments of receptivity of those around us, Lord. Just, just grace our lives to be lived in this kind of a, a plane. We love you, Jesus. Um, man, there's no one like you. You're incomparably great. You're incomparably sufficient. And I just pray we fall more and more in love with you all the time. God, would you bless the people of Grace Point. Fill them today with your hope. Fill them with your Holy Spirit. I pray we go forth from this place. Uh, ready to live a life out loud for you. In your name, Jesus, and all God's people said,